Deuteronomy chapter 8, page 209 of your Pew Bibles. In this chapter, we have precepts, promises, possession, providence, pride, and perishing of idolaters. Hear now the reading of the word of Almighty God. Deuteronomy 8, starting at verse 1. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee, to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee to know, or make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. Thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these forty years, Thou shalt also consider in thine heart that as a man chasteneth his son, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. Therefore, thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord thy God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey, a land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness, thou shalt not lack anything in it, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes which I command thee this day. Lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, and when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thine heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through this, that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee, and that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of mine hand hath gotten me this wealth, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, 
that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers, as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day, that ye shall surely perish. As the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Thus far the reading of God's holy word from the book of Deuteronomy chapter 8, a most important and instructive chapter in God's holy word. Verses 1 through 6, we have precepts, the possession of the land, and the providence of Almighty God. Verse 1, notice there the precepts. All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do. Or you could say, every commandment which I command you. Every single one, in other words. God in his law requires universal obedience. It must be all of his commands. You cannot subtract and take away some. You cannot add to his commandments. It is all of his commandments and only his commandments, every single one, universal obedience. But notice also, he says that they must observe to do. This is conscientious keeping of his commandments. You must obey all of them and only them, and you must do so in a conscientious way. When you observe something, you carefully watch it as someone who observes birds so that they may notice the pattern of the feathers, the colors, the sizes, the behavior patterns, the mating patterns, where they build their nests, how they build their nests. They observe them. They carefully watch them, don't they? He says, you should carefully watch my commandments. All and every single one, universally obedient and conscientiously obedient and practically obedient. You don't just observe them so that you can write down your notes about the law, but so that you may do the law. You may obey in practice what is stated in theory. Then he refers them to the possession also in verse 1, that you may go in and possess the land which the Lord swear unto your fathers. Now notice, God is the one who swear, and he swears by himself in this case. So it is like a testament. It is one-sided. God has taken an oath. He's designated their fathers and the children of the fathers as the heirs. He's given them the land as an inheritance or a possession. This word possess means to receive something, to hold it fast as an inheritance given to you. Then he reminds them of his providence in verse 2. Thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these forty years in the wilderness to humble thee. God commands that we be observers not merely of his law, but also of his providence and his providence through the lens of his law. The law is the truth the providence are the acts of God, and we observe the acts of God and recall to our minds what he has done so that we may be humbled for our sins. That's the goal. God says that he led them through the wilderness for 40 years. Why? To 
humble thee. That shows a purpose or an intention on God's part. His goal was their humility. God showed them mercy. God pardoned their sins. God provided for all of their needs. Therefore, they should humble themselves. By the way, this is why Deuteronomy is the second law. Not just the Ten Commandments repeated, but also the history of God's dealings in his providence with his people. Notice it mentions the fiery serpents, scorpions, water from the rock. It mentions all these things because those are mentioned in where? Exodus, Numbers, Leviticus. Now it's summing all them up in Deuteronomy. Remember God's providence. Remember his design to humble you. And also verse 2, to prove thee to know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. Now, is God lacking in information about how we will respond to his word? No, this is said after the manner of men. The term for this is an anthropomorphism. God is transformed as if he were a man in scripture many times, and things that men do or think or feel are attributed to God, as we'll see later in Zephaniah. But here, notice, it's as if God had to test and find out what's actually inside of you. But who actually needs to know what's inside of us? We do. We need to know that we are not what we think we are. That we might profess that we will keep God's commandments, as Israel, in fact, did. But how did they find out that they wouldn't? Because God proved them. God tested them in order to humble them he caused them to suffer that's the idea of proving it means to bring out those materials that exist by the application of intense heat as a man proves metal by testing it by firing it and causing it to be heated up and to suffer and then out comes the filth then out comes the vileness of Israel and so with us God proves us so that we may see that we are not what we think we are, so that we may be humbled, and then we'll learn to keep his commandments because then we'll be ready to listen. We won't think so highly of ourselves. We will recognize what we really are and think lowly of ourselves. Oh, I'd never do that. Have you ever said that? You're wrong. You would. You must guard your wicked heart. And never say, what is thy servant, a dead dog, that I would do such things? You remember the prophet told the man that he would rip up women who were with child? And he said, I would never do that. Guess what he did? He ripped up women with child. Because he thought he was good. So God, in his mercy, proves us. So that we may know the contents of our wretched and wicked hearts. And realize we don't keep his commandments so that we may come to repentance and be forgiven for our sins and turn from our sins. That's God's goal. Verse 3. Notice more of God's program of discipline for his children. He humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna. Sufferings, deprivations, pain, need. These all have the same goal. God is humbling us. Parents who spoil their children, they cause them to never know need or pain or suffering or want. Are they actually loving their children? No. 
because their children become puffed up with pride and will not be thankful for the things that they have. So here God says to his children, I had a goal in your hunger. I had a goal to humble you and then to teach you gratitude because now I would give you supernatural provision, manna from heaven. God's goal again was to humble his people, to teach them to depend on his hand, not on the might, supposed might of their arm. Verse 3, he goes on. Here's another goal that God had in their sufferings, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only. Here's another purpose for God humbling us by afflictions and trials and sufferings. He increases our faith. Do you know who lives by bread alone? Animals do. They live a bodily existence merely. And the Gentiles, who are like dogs, the Bible says, they live like animals, just on their appetites, on their feelings, on their emotions, on their stomach, on their sex drive, whatever it is, their desire for power, whatever emotional pleasure or bodily pleasure or mental pleasure they want, that drives them. They're like a dog who lives on his feed a cow that lives on its grass, a pig that lives on whatever you feed it. God says, you must learn not to be that way. Trials, sufferings, and afflictions cause our faith to increase because then we must depend on God himself. We must rely upon his promises and submit ourselves to his commandments. We must glorify him because he's humbled us. He weans us off of a mere animal existence. Let us then embrace the rod of the Lord that chastens us. Remember David said in Psalm 23, Thy rod and thy staff, they terrorize me and I try to run as far away from them as I can. Is that what he said? They comfort me because I realize, Lord, you love me, that you won't let me stray, that you'll draw me back, that you will humble my pride. Let us embrace the rod of the Lord that chastens us. He does us much good by these trials and sufferings. When God doesn't care about someone and they're sinning and they're prospering in their sin, he says, you can have that. You can live like a pig because I'm going to slaughter you one day. That's what Psalm 73 is all about. You pigs, live it up, because I'm going to kill you, and you'll never rise again. But for us, who are God's sheep, he says, no. I will strike you with the rod. I will cause you to suffer, because I love you. I don't want you to go on in your sin like the hogs and the pigs to live a merely animal existence by bread alone. But, he says, by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. The word, word is not there. Our Lord Jesus Christ supplies that in Matthew 4.4 and Luke 4.4. 4. That is not there in the Old Testament, but our translators very wisely and in respect for Jesus Christ put that word there in italics. Every word that proceedeth there in the New Testament, it's the utterance. Everything God utters out of his mouth. You listen carefully to the utterances of God. Now, what is 
the utterance of God. Well, there's another word for it. The oracles of God. The mouthpiece of God. Where the words of God utter forth to the people so that they may know the truth that God has revealed. Did you know that the Bible is the oracles of God? Paul says, all scripture is God breathed. It is inspired by God. Theonoustos is the word. God has breathed out through his mouth this book. That's why it's enough. That's why it's a sufficient rule of faith and obedience. It requires no supplements, no additional revelations, no human accretions or traditions. Let us then content ourselves. These are the oracles of God. This is the mouth of God. He has spoken to us, and therefore we may be thoroughly outfitted unto every good work. There is no good work God requires of any man that is not contained in this Bible. It's enough. Notice also God's providence, verse 4. Thy raiment wax not old upon thee, neither did thy foot swell these 40 years. Now this is supernatural. This is not the normal order of things, is it? If you work a few hours on some project, we did a moving day last week. Did your feet swell? Because mine did. You work a little bit in the garden, your feet swell, you take off your shoes and it feels good, doesn't it? You know why that is? Your shoes didn't get smaller, your feet got bigger. God said, for 40 years walking around in a wilderness, he made it so their feet did not swell. He preserved them supernaturally. He was good to them. How many of you kids have holes in your pants or in your skirts or your shirts? Well, I'd say probably all of us, not just kids, adults as well. We get holes in our clothes. He said, your raiment did not wax old, not a one. I preserved you in a supernatural way. This is the way God deals with his people. Do you think we're preserved by our own works, by our own faith? by our own wisdom, by our own efforts. Should we have faith? Yes. Should we have works? Yes. Should we have wisdom? Of course. But do they preserve us? God does, supernaturally. As a man chasteneth his son, God says, so the Lord thy God chasteneth thee. This is the word for discipline, for admonition, or for chastening, spanking. God's desire in spanking us is to humble us, to teach us dependence and obedience. I note then, God has designed our sufferings for our benefit in grace and in faith. That's why David embraced the rod. That's why it comforted him. Because he knew, by that means, God is building faith in me. God is causing me to grow in grace. Why would I reject that? It comforts me that God cares enough to come and to spank me. Let us then live upon every word of God and let us gratefully receive his chastenings. Verses 7 through 18, we have the possession, the prosperity, and the attendant temptation to pride with its remedy detailed. Verse 7 says they would have a good land with brooks of water, fountains and depths that spring out of the valleys and hills. Kind of reminds me of Virginia in some ways. They would prosper they would be provided for in the possession God gave them. And verse 9 tells us that they would eat bread 
without scarceness. Every single kind of good thing would be provided for them. Things you had to plant every year, things that were there for a long time, like vines and fig trees, God would provide for them. And when they would receive all these blessings, what's the proper return? How do we return good to the Lord when he does good to us? Verse 10, Then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. This is the proper response to being full with God's blessings. Contentment, some people think, only applies when you need something. That is not true. The Bible teaches us that you must learn to be content both when you are abased and when you abound, both when you are full and when you suffer hunger because there is a wrong way to prosper. There is a wrong way to have a full stomach. God says you must bless him, thank him, speak well of him, praise him when he prospers you, when your tummy's full. Thank the Lord for his goodness and mercy. We must be content and let us learn to be content, especially when we are full, when our freezers are full, when our needs are met, when our shelves are well stocked, when our work is prosperous, when the wind is at our backs, praise God, give him thanks, recognize it's all his gift. Beware, he says, here's the temptation. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God. This word beware means to be watchful. Have you ever seen a movie where maybe at the Alamo or something, they're watching to see is somebody coming? Because if they don't watch, what will happen? The enemy comes and destroys the Alamo, right? So they have to watch. They have to stand and keep guard and the other enemy might come and get them. Who is the enemy in this case? Well, it's your own wicked heart, isn't it? Your heart will forget the Lord thy God. So you must watch it. You must guard your heart for out of it, Solomon says, are the issues of life. Watch it carefully. This temptation will come upon you. Prosperity breeds forgetting God. How does, how does that enemy get in there? Because we're not watching. We're not guarding the doors, the entry point. So the thought comes in that, mm, nah, I, don't need re- I don't really need God. I can forget God. Verse 14, then thine heart be lifted up. You prospered and now your heart is so high up that you think you got this all by yourself. I got this. I can take care of this. I don't need any help. I can do it myself. I did it myself. I've accomplished this. My hands worked the ground. My hands did these great things. No. This is to forget the Lord thy God. The Geneva Bibles notes say, by attributing God's benefits to your own wisdom and labor or to good fortune. Oh, I'm so lucky. I'm so hardworking. And God says, no, I gave you all these things. That is God forgetting to say, my wisdom, my labor, my good luck. Verse 16, God says he fed them in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might 
humble thee. Now last time in verse 3, God said there was a reason why he fed them with manna that neither they nor their fathers knew. Do you remember what that was? That he might make thee to know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord. These are parallel phrases. To humble you and to make you to know that you must live upon the scriptures are the same thing. Therefore, if we think or feel or act as if we must not really need the Bible that much, you know what that is? That's pride. That's God forgetting. If we reject the sole authority of God speaking in Scripture, if we reject everything that the Scriptures say, or some part of it, and we say there's some other rule for my life, what do we have underlying that? What do we call that? We call that pride. I don't need God in this part. You know, 80% of what God says, pretty good. I approve. But you know, there's 20% I don't approve of. What about this? There's 99.999% of what God says in his word that I approve of, but there's 0.0001% that I don't approve of. What are we saying? Me, I'm the standard. I'm the God. And if that God meets my approval, well... I'll live according to it. But that one thing he says that I don't think is right, I will not submit myself. What am I saying? I am God. That's what I'm saying. And that is blasphemy. That is pride. That is God forgetting. And he says that's why he humbled them. So that they would lose their pride. So that they would learn to listen by humbling themselves. The rejection of sola scriptura is anti-Christian pride. I don't need just what God says. Not every word and only those words that proceed out of his mouth. I also need these other guys that I consider my gods to tell me what he says is correct. Let us then humble ourselves. Let us not trust in our own or in other creatures' wisdom. But let us trust alone to God's oracles, his sacred scriptures. He goes on, not only to humble them and to humble us, but that he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. This is the second part of Psalm 73. The first part, why do the wicked prosper? Why do I see them fattened? Why are they going so well? It's because when he goes into the temple, he remembers. God set their feet in slippery places. And me who's chastened every morning, what is God going to do for me at the latter end? Well, he's going to do you good. God works all things together, including the bad things, to your good. The latter end of such a man, though he suffers all of his life, is peace. If you have your best life now, you're going to hell. But if you have your worst life now, you're going to heaven. That's what God says. I will do thee good at thy latter end, though you are chastened, though you are humbled, though your pride is stripped from you, though you must learn to listen to my words, I'm doing you good. That's what God says. 
God forgetting is to attribute to our own power and hand. God remembering is to humble us and to see that all the good we have is from him, that all the truth we have is from him, that all the grace that we have is from him. Verse 18, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, keep him in your mind, meditate on his oracles, recall his providences, Hope in his promises, obey his precepts. Let your acts, your words, and your deeds be to his glory according to his word. Let your affections well up with thanksgiving and thanksgiving, living a thankful life. That's how we remember the Lord our God. Verse 18, for it is he that giveth the power to get wealth. Remember the words of the blessed Paul, 1 Corinthians 4, 7, For who maketh thee to differ from another? And what hast thou that thou didst not receive? They have these great houses that they've built. Look what I did. No. God gives you power to obtain wealth, he says, so that you may prosper and so that he may keep the possession in inheritance that he gave to you in his covenant. Don't glory as if you had not received it. Are you skilled in your craft? Are you competent in the duties assigned to you? Do you read well and remember what you read? Can you cook well? Can you hunt well? Can you work diligently? Do you raise your children with skill and wisdom? Remember the Lord your God and stay far from boasting from prideful thoughts, from fond imaginations of how great you are at what you do. I'm so good at this. (sighs) Look at me. I'm great. No. Who gave you that? God did. did. And if he gave it to you, why would you boast? Like you didn't receive it from him? That he might establish his covenant which he swear unto thy fathers. That's why God gives us those abilities. This is God's testament. God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. God appoints heirs and a possession and says, here, I'm blessing you. That's why he gave them the power to get wealth. Then verses 19 and 20, we have the perishing idolaters. Verse 19, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God and walk after other gods and serve them and worship them. Wait a second. Do you notice a downward spiral there? First he says, walk after them. Just, they have a pathway. I'll just walk in that for a little bit. Then what's next? Then he says, serve them. Do their bidding. Like you're their slave. It's the word for a slave, but it's the verb form, to slave after them, to serve their interests, to do what they command you to do. So first you walk in their ways, then you start doing what they say. What's the final step? You worship them. You offer actions of religious devotion. The New Testament has a word, proskuneo, means to act like a dog towards someone, lick their hand, bow before them, follow their orders any religious gesture, any religious action. It starts with walking, just the motion in their direction or in their pathways, then serving their interests, then acts of religious homage. 
a downward spiral. If you forget God, it's all downhill from there, we might say. It's all going the wrong way. Moses comes in as a witness, or God through Moses comes in. I testify against you this day. Write it down. Ye shall surely perish. Perishing ye shall perish, God says. Your sin will find you out. You cannot escape the hand of God. And even as those Gentiles, he says, even as I'm causing them to perish and driving them out, do you think you'll be exempt? They did. Should they have thought that they were exempt? No. So shall ye perish, he says. Your status as a visible church, your possession of the oracles of God, your history of being given the law from Mount Sinai, that's not going to save you from destruction. For Christians, the same thing. You have the Bible, the oracles of God. You have the giving of the covenant where our Lord Jesus Christ said, Take, eat, this is my body. Go ye therefore and baptize all nations. You have the covenants, the giving of the law, our Lord Jesus Christ standing as lawgiver and saying, Teach them to observe all things whatsoever I command thee. We have privileges as a visible church. Will we be exempt from the judgments of God if we live like the heathens? In a God-forgetting way, being unthankful for his many benefits? We will not. Live like a Gentile? Die like a Gentile. Because, he says, ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. Scripture rejection is God-forgetting pride. It is impiety of the worst sort. Remember that 0.0001% means I'll receive it if I think it's worthy of being received. You then believe in yourself. Augustine said, if you read the Gospels and you believe those things that you approve of, it is not the Gospels you believe, it is yourself you believe. So God says, mortify the hero that's within you, your little deity of self-worship, let us receive, believe, and obey the Scripture. Let us live by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Let us let patience have her perfect work, that we may be entire, lacking nothing. Amen.